Let us pray. Oh God, show us how in the birth of your Son you are making yourself known not just 2,000 years ago, but right now. Amen. If you were with us on uh, Monday night at our Christmas Eve service, you heard the story of the birth of Jesus from, the, uh, from Luke's telling of it. Next Sunday, if you're here, you'll hear some of the birth story of Jesus from Matthew's telling of it when the, when the wise men come to worship the infant. This morning we read the beginning of the book of John, and John doesn't talk about the birth of Jesus in the way that we've heard it. Joseph and Mary aren't in it, no angels, no wise men. No, what I think we read in the beginning of John's story of Jesus is what this whole birth of Jesus means. In one phrase, I think, John offers up what Christmas means. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, John says. This word lived among us literally means tabernacled or tented. As in God set up a tent and stayed. The message translation, I like what how that translates this verse. It said this, it said, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Christmas reminds us that our God is not a God who is way out there somewhere, some abstract and far away other. Christmas reminds us that Christ is, has moved into the neighborhood. That God has come in the person of Jesus to show us what it means to live as a human being, a fully human person. God moves into the neighborhood to show us what the love of God is like when it's lived out as a person in flesh and blood. In Jesus, God shows us how God intends for people to treat each other and this way of Jesus is, is much, much more than just being nice to others. This way of Jesus, this way that has shown us of God and the flesh and blood of Jesus, it's about standing up for those who have been pushed down to the bottom. Standing up with these ones and lifting them up. And it's about speaking out against those people, those systems that cause these same people to be pushed down to the bottom, standing against those systems. We see in the life of Jesus, in the one who became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, what God intends for life. And we see that in the life of Jesus that nothing will defeat this way of God. John says, the light shines in the darkness. The darkness does not overcome the light. Even when the powers of darkness would do all that they can do to destroy Jesus, to make sure he is gone, they fail to do it. 
It's a reminder to us that even when everything seems dark and when there is no hope, we can trust the promise of God that God's light does overcome the darkness. The love of God is, is greater than any hate. That the life of God is greater than death itself. We'll see all of that worked out in the life of this one whose birth we celebrate this week. God has moved into the neighborhood in the person of Jesus. But now there's this. The call now is for us to let that truth of God enter into the neighborhood of our own hearts. God's entered into the neighborhood, yes, to show us the way of God. And God has done that to show us how we might follow in that same way. The more we allow God to move around in the neighborhood of our lives, the more we will experience and see what love and compassion is all about. It's a love and compassion that grows in ever-widening circles. Here's what I mean. The message of Jesus is not about how we can go to heaven when we die. The message of Christmas is how we might live while we are here on earth. And we know how we might live here on this earth because God has come among us. He's moved into the neighborhood and He has showed us what that love is all about. I came across a quote recently by St. Augustine. What does love look like? It has the hands to help others. It has the feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has eyes to see misery and want. It has the ears to hear the sighs and the sorrows of people. That is what love looks like. We know what love looks like because we see it in the life of Jesus, whose birth we celebrate this week. I was reading a book this week while I was at my in-laws. I find that's the best way for me to stay out of trouble, is to be quiet and out of the way and read. I read a whole book in like a whole day and a half, and I'm not the type that can read that fast, but it's a great book. It's a great story. It comes from an odd source. It comes from someone who was serving time on death row in prison, the name of the book is The Sun Does Shine, How I Found Life and Freedom on Death Row by Anthony Ray Hinton. I'll be turning it into the library probably today or tomorrow if you want to check it out. Man, it's a great book. It's the real life story of a man named Ray Hinton. Ray Hinton was arrested in the early 1980s, charged with three murders, none of which he committed. And he served almost 30 years, 30 years on death row before the truth finally came out that he didn't commit any of those crimes. I'd like to share one story from the book. Ray had been on death row for about three years and he was angry. 
obviously. He was angry at the prosecuting attorney who had assumed just from the way Ray looked as an African-American man that he was guilty even before the trial started. He was angry at the judge who assumed the same thing. He was even angry at his defense attorney who had been assigned to him as a public defender who really didn't want to do it because he wasn't going to get paid hardly anything to do it. Ray was angry, and he was facing the electric chair for something he didn't do. And here's the story I want to read. Been in there about three years, angry. It had to be well after midnight when I heard the first sob. There were always men yelling and moaning and crying every single night. But it had been strangely quiet for about 20 minutes, so when I heard the noise, it jolted me. I'd gotten used to turning, tuning out the endless sounds of pain on death row. It was just background noise, and it wasn't any of my business. But then I heard that first sob. It was a sound low and guttural, almost more of a growl than a cry. He goes on to describe that it would quit, then it would start back up, it would quit. Then the man who was sobbing said this, Oh my God, please help me, I can't take it, I just can't take it anymore. The man, Ray, thought to himself, Does this guy really believe God's going to help him? There's no God in this place. And so Ray starts pacing. It's what he does to kind of survive. He walks from one end of the cell, which is like five or seven paces, turns around and walks back, and he keeps walking until his mind is cleared enough where he can lay back down to go to sleep. But this time it wasn't helping. What he did this time was something snapped in him. It made him think to do something different. He realized that he had a choice. Even though he was on death row and his choices were limited, he had a choice about how he would spend his life. I was on death row, not by my own choice, but I had made the choice to spend the last three years thinking about killing these people that had put him in jail and thinking about killing himself. Despair was a choice. Hatred was a choice. Anger was a choice. I still had choices. And that knowledge rocked me. I could choose to give up or to hang on. Hope was a choice. Faith was a choice. And more than anything else, love was a choice. Compassion was a choice. And then Ray speaks up. Hey, he walks to a cell door and yells toward the crying man, are you all right over there? Hey, are you okay? Is something wrong? And it waited and waited in silence. And then the voice said, 
I just got word that my mom died. This man said. And in that moment, Ray realized that he had made a good choice, moving away from despair and hate and moving toward embracing others even on death row. And in that moment changed everything for Ray Hinton. Soon, others on the cell block there on death row were saying words of commiseration to the man whose mother had died. I wondered why it was the cries of another human being, how it can touch us in ways that we don't expect. I wasn't expecting to have my heart break that night. I wasn't expecting to end three years of silence. He had spent all three years not speaking to anybody. It was a revelation to realize that I wasn't the only man on death row. I was born with the same gift from God that we're all born with, the impulse to reach out and lessen the suffering of another human being. It was a gift, and we each had a choice whether to use this gift or not. And as the book goes on, it talks about many, many ways that Ray sought out community with others, even on death row. They even had a book club. He did meet this one man whose name was Henry. He found out from another man that Henry had been arrested. Ray Hinton is an African-American man. This man, Henry, was a white man. And he was on death row because he had performed the last lynching in Alabama. Him and another man had there'd been something happened in the community and they found the first black man they could get a hold of and they lynched him and killed him to warn all the other African-American folks in town, you better watch yourself. This man Henry was the son of the head of the KKK in that part of Alabama. The point of what I'm trying to say here is that over time, Ray, an African-American man, and Henry, who had committed this lynching and who was the son of a KKK leader became friends. It was visit, visitation day. It was once a week. And Ray was at a table sitting with his family, his best friend, his mom. Henry was over here visiting with his parents who had come to see him. Henry says this, hey Ray, come over here a second. And he, gest he gestured me over. He was sitting with an older couple. I assumed they were his parents. He I glanced toward the guard. The guard said, you can go on over there. Ray, I want you to meet my father, Benny. Dad, this is Ray Hinton, my friend. I held out my hand to Henry's father. He just looked at me and then down to the table. He didn't say hello. He wouldn't shake my hand. Henry said this, Dad, he's my friend, my best friend, Henry's voice shook a little bit. His mom smiled a little bit. The guard told him to go sit back down, and Ray said, nice to meet you both. What was that all about? His Ray's friend told, asked him, and Ray said, 
that was about some progress, my friend, some crazy progress on death row. I tell that story because in the life of Jesus, God came down and moved into the neighborhood. And by the way, God moved into the neighborhood and lived God's life as Jesus shows us what the realm of love and compassion is all about. And in death row, Ray Hinton found that reaching out to others is the way to life. I would suggest he learned that from Jesus. A couple years ago, I came across a work by Howard Thurman, who was an African-American writer, theologian, preacher, civil rights leader. And it's called The Work of Christmas. I'd like to read it. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princesses are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, to make music in the heart. This is our work shown us by the God who was born in the flesh and moved into the neighborhood and showed us what it means to love. And thanks be to God for that gift of God's love. Amen.